When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Starfleet Leadership Academy, a Star Trek podcast told through the lens of leadership development. And now, here's your host, Jeff Aiken. Welcome, everyone. I'm anxious to get into this episode. This will be our third episode watching Enterprise, and by my score, Archer is 0-2. So, <laughs> so let's see if the third time's a charm as we start the sixth episode of the second season of Enterprise, Marauders. We're on a settlement on a barren desert planet. There's a kid running around and people working. Looks rough. They see a shuttle heading towards them and ask, Is it them? Who? We do not know, since this shuttle, one of Enterprises, apparently is not who they were expecting. Archer, T'Pol, and Tucker, in their desert gear, come out to meet the settlers. They're looking to trade for deuterium. Deuterium is used as fuel for the antimatter and matter reactions necessary to power a starship. The settler, Tessic, says they've got nothing to trade. They've got two pumps that are offline. T'Pol says they've scanned them and they know they have a large inventory. And so this kicks off the negotiations. Tessic straight up doesn't want to trade with them, but all three officers keep on it. The settlers take offense to being scanned, and an archer, archer apologizes. I apologize. Hey, good for him. It's a little patronizing, but I, I, after what we've watched so far, I kind of feel like I have to reinforce his his positive behaviors. One of the one of the settlers asks if the Enterprise crew can help repair their pumps. Trip agrees to give it a shot. This helps the negotiations continue. I actually really liked Archer in this exchange. I mean, he was still more firm than I would expect, but he was likely trying to establish a power position for the negotiation. This isn't a tactic that I would use, but it's one that a lot of people do. In this scene, he listens, he owns a misstep, and he looks for opportunities to not only get what he and his crew needs, but also what the settlers may need. Now, we talked a little bit about negotiations in the Homestead episode when Neelix was working to help the Talaxian colony. We talked about the win-win-win approach to negotiations. Now, generally speaking, and, and, and as I see the win-win-win scenario, this is where the two sides negotiating get a win, but so does a, a greater cause. In Homestead, it was a solution where everyone got something they wanted and no one had to be hurt. A much, a much greater good. In many public-private negotiations, the community may be the greater good, or maybe the environment. At this point in the episode, and in the negotiation, Archer, Archer's just working for the win-win, the classic best approach to an outcome. He wins by getting deuterium, and the settlers win by getting their pumps repaired. Let's watch and see if a greater good reveals itself, and if anyone incorporates that to move towards a win-win-win. Trips grabbing his tools, and he finds the kid that we saw running around earlier, Kel, in the shuttle. He's interested in the ships that come by, and so Trip 
brags the shuttle up a little bit, and the kid the kid gets really impressed that he's a pilot. Because I was inverted. Trip invites Kel to come to the Enterprise for a tour, if it's cool with his parents. As that's going on, the negotiations continue, and they they are not going that great. But they're still going, and that's enough for Archer. The settlers are saying the labor necessary to refine the deuterium is significant. So Archer owns his ignorance and asks to see how it all works. Do you have any idea how much labor it takes to refine a liter of deuterium? Actually, no. I'd enjoy seeing how your facility works. This is, this is great. When you don't understand something, go look at it. Don't let someone try and explain it to you. Just, just go look. We've talked about Gemba Walks a few times on this podcast. This, this is where you go to the place the work is being done to observe and to learn. I mean, that, that's a way to completely oversimplify it. But we looked at those, those walks in terms of management. This is an example when, uh, when it can come into play during a negotiation. When you go to look at or to buy a, buy a car, what is the salesperson trying to do right out of the gate immediately? Yeah, they're trying to get you in the vehicle for a test drive. They want to show you what the car can do. They want you to have an experience that helps you want to buy that car. Seeing it, driving it, helps you move towards that decision. Now let's take it up a level. Let's say you have an opportunity to invest in a business or, or a product. You've read through the business plan. You've seen the financials. Are you ready to write a check? <laughs> I sure hope not. You want to see the business, somehow experience the concept, maybe maybe even use the product. Once you see how it works, it gives you knowledge, gives you leverage. I see you're asking for hundred grand here, but, but I also saw that you haven't worked out the problem with the thing that, that, that does the thing, right? So what do you say I give you 25 grand for the same stake and then we focus on resolving that issue? I know, right? That's a that's a super specific example right there. Yeah, yeah. But hopefully, hopefully that helps you helps you get the gist. Sight unseen, you could be at a hundred grand here. But going and seeing how it works gave you an entirely different perspective and changed your negotiating position. Well, Tesic isn't as impressed as I am. Ultimately, they they come to an agreement, and that's specifically when medical supplies come into play. But the deal hinges on getting the pumps back up and running. Tessic lays down some rules. I expect you to leave orbit in two days. Two days, and they're gone. If the pumps are fixed, they leave with deuterium. If they're not, they leave empty-handed. He's intense here. Something going on here, but, but, but no one is really clued into it yet. On Enterprise, Phlox is hooking the settlers up with medical supplies. It's pretty surprised, as they seem to need some really just basic supplies. And... And some of them that arouse suspicion, you know, those ones that deal with plasma burns and other super dangerous incidents, they seem to have an answer for everything he asks, but they seem, I don't know, they seem kind of, well, well afraid of something. Archer and T'Pol are walking through the settlement and are remarking on what bad shape it's in. With the high margins on deuterium, he expected the place to be in really good shape. He's slowly starting to put the pieces together as Phlox updated him on the medical supply situation. Phlox tells me they don't even have basic medical supplies. T'Pol, though, just wants to get the trade done and get out of there. But Archer is really interested in what's going on around here, and we find out right away. Mayweather picks up a ship entering the system. They're Klingon. Tessic alerts the settlers, lets them know Korok is here ahead of schedule, 
and that they need to wrap up work and get everyone inside. Settlers are hunkering down and Tessic asks that no one get involved. In the past, when they've arrived and others have been there, the Klingons get very upset. You see, they, Korok and his crew, believe they're the exclusive customers of this settlement. Archer begrudgingly agrees. He orders Enterprise to adjust its orbit and to stay out of sight. Korok arrives, and Tessic tries to let him know they're having issues with the pumps, but, but, but Korok doesn't even acknowledge what he's said. He wants to eat. He wants to drink. Let's have food and drink. Likely at the settler's expense, before discussing business. Tessic sticks to it, though, and tells him, again, they don't have what was expected. There's some pretty standard extortion stuff here. We'll take all of it. Now. Korok assaults Tessic and his aide, and then he gives them four days to have the whole shipment ready for them, and they beam away. Archer and Trip start grilling them. How long have these bullies been pushing you around? Tessic seems good with the situation, though. I mean, the living they're able to eke out is good enough for him. Trip wants them to fight back, but they explain that they did. And when they did, eight people died, including Kel's father. They have, they have no appetite to fight them again. Archer offers to help, but Tessic tells him to take his 200 liters and get out of there. So they return to Enterprise, but, but Trip, Trip sticks around. He pairs off with Kel, and, and they talk ships for a bit, but, but Kel wonders why they didn't just fight the Klingons, and, and honestly, Trip, Trip has a really hard time answering him. On the ship, T'Pol and Archer discuss the situation. In her opinion, they have the deuterium, and they should just get out of there. But Archer's hot. The scans that Reed took of the ship, the Klingon ship, showed that it was barely even a freighter. These are bottom-rung Klingons bullying a small group of settlers. He suggests reaching out to the Klingon High Council, but T'Pol disagrees. I doubt these marauders answer to the High Council. They agree, eventually, that they, sh- they should do something, but anything short of killing them will-, will ultimately just make the situation worse. After some problem solving, Archer joins Tessic on the surface as he repairs some more equipment. Archer pitches in, helps out, as they talk about Korok and his marauders. Tessic is adamant that this just isn't Archer's concern. But he doesn't stop. Archer offers to train the settlers, help them to prepare. But Tessic sees himself as the protector. They put the trust in me. They depend on me. I'm supposed to protect them. But as he talks himself through it, Archer pulls him through to agreement. Give a man a fish and he eats for a day. Teach him to fish and he eats for a lifetime. Dude, Archer is doing great here. He comes in with a game plan. He's done his research. You say you and your tactical officer want to help us. Then, when he talks to Tessic, he listens to him. He adapts his messaging to match his needs and, 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 and the worries that Tessic has. He offers help, sustainable help. Then, he motivates Tessic to take action and to do what he wants to do, what he believes is his responsibility to protect his people. And we've got Reed, T'Pol, and Trip checking out the settlers' weapons. The settlers want Enterprise weapons, right? The big guns. But Reed refuses. He says, Deception and surprise can be just as potent as brute force. Archer comes in. He lays out the plan. They're going to trick the Klingons into standing in the middle of the deuterium field by literally moving the settlement. They identify some settlers that have experience with weapons and send them to Enterprise for some training. Everybody loves the plan, and they get to work. There's some great scenes of everybody working together. God, it's just, it reminds me of something. I can't, 
Can't quite put my finger on it, though. Maybe it'll come to me later. Reed and Hoshi are training the settlers on Enterprise. Turns out Hoshi's a badass. Who knew? (laughs) Archer's in there. He's getting his hands dirty. He's doing the work. He and Trip check in on their progress. Trip has some doubts about the plan, so Archer takes time to talk through it with him. He ultimately makes this really personal. He simply doesn't like bullies. I've never liked bullies, Trip. Not on Earth and not out here. This is a short scene, but important. And not just for the anti-bullying message, which is also important, but it's important for two big reasons. Checking in on progress and taking the time to refocus the purpose. When you're in the throes of a project, it can be tempting to go heads down, just just do the work. But it is critical to pause and to check your progress, hopefully against a project plan or even a work breakdown structure, ideally, that you put together before the project kicked off. If these check-ins are boring and uneventful, that's because everything is going according to plan. That's great! That almost never happens, right? The check-ins allow you to adjust plans, reallocate resources, or reset milestones. If nothing else, as in this scene, it gives an opportunity to remind people of the purpose or the goal. Trip is having doubts about their approach, and, and these are legitimate doubts. Archer attempts to address them, though, by looking at the purpose, the reason that they're even doing this work. If you're running a project or dedicating resources to something and you don't know what the purpose is, you don't know why, yeah, that's a huge problem. Beyond that, though, what if your purpose isn't relevant anymore? Maybe you started a project like two years ago or more and the problem you were trying to solve just isn't a problem anymore. Or maybe your priorities have shifted. Maybe, hypothetically, You had a huge project that suddenly became absolutely meaningless because, oh, I don't know, something like, I don't know, a a, a pandemic swept the world and changed the whole game. If you're not doing regular check-ins, you will not be in a position to respond to, you know, hypothetical change like that. Back on the ship, Mayweather and T'Pol are teaching some hand-to-hand combat to avoid getting hit. It's, It's Zeus Mana, actually. Perfect little throwback to the last episode of the podcast when we saw Michael Burnham bust this out. T'Pol gives some pretty explicit details on Klingon weapons. The Batleth can decapitate its victim with one stroke, while the Mechleth is typically used to slash the throat or disembowel. Gosh, I, I just really wish I could remember what this is making me think of. It's, uh, it's right on the tip of my tongue. Well, maybe, maybe it'll hit me in a little bit. The kid, Kel wants to fight too. He's talking to Trip about it and complaining that he has to hide out in the canyon. Trip explains one of Malcolm Reed's rules. You've got to be taller than the gun to use it. And then Trip reinforces Reed's rule and tells Kel that he needs to follow orders. After this, Trip is rigging the wellheads in the field to detonate. He and another settler are camouflaging the area. Once they're done, the plan is all set. Tessic and Archer meet up. Tessic is having doubts. It's understandable. I mean, they're about to do the the absolute unthinkable. They're about to stand up to a bully. So Archer tells the story of Broken Bow. He talks about how battle wasn't what he signed up for when he joined Starfleet, but it was what he needed to do. He encourages Tessic. I'm nervous now, but I know we can do this. And just in time, the Klingon ship shows up again. The Klingon ship just dropped out of warp, Captain. The day has arrived. 
we see a gentle breeze sweep across the empty settlement. I almost expected to see a tumbleweed blow past. Klingons beam in, and there's no one to be found. They start looking for the settlers, blasting disruptors in the air and shouting. <laughs> One of the settlers runs off and the plan kicks in. Klingons are running into traps. Some are getting blasted with phasers. We see all the training they conducted pay off. We even see T'Pol bust out that Sus Mana as she takes a big guy down. The Klingons regroup and then they spot the settlers hiding in the canyon. Little cat and mouse as they try and position the Klingons on the wellheads they set up. They get him there and ignite the wellhead, surrounding the Klingons with fire. Archer sends Tessic out to confront them. Korok threatens him, but Tessic stands up to them. Korok insults the settlers' deuterium. We can find deuterium anywhere. Yours isn't fit for a garbage scum. And they beam out. The settlers win. Afterwards, Trip meets Kel in the shuttle. Trip gives him blueprints and schematics for Enterprise, and he's super excited. They have a short but emotional farewell as Archer and T'Pol meet with Tessic. The settlers give them 2,000 liters of deuterium and thanks. Archer wishes them well, and they return to Enterprise. This was a fun episode. I mean, nothing big or dramatic, just fun. I think I did like it better, though, the first time I saw it, when it was called The Seven Samurai. And I actually liked it even better the second time I saw it, when it was called The Magnificent Seven. That's what was on the tip of my tongue the whole time. But this is Star Trek's version of the classic story. They did really well with it. No real threats, no bits of incredible lore or canon. Just a fun episode that didn't really mean anything. We got to know some of the characters a little more. I mean, who knew Hoshi could handle a rifle like that? And we saw Reed shine as a tactician. We also got to see Travis Mayweather. Well, yeah, we... We got to see him, and so there's that, there's that. Back in the days of 26-episode seasons, you got some filler, and this was definitely that. But it was well-done filler, especially if you enjoyed The Magnificent Seven. Command codes verified. This is our third episode of Enterprise we've reviewed. Archer has been a glaring 0-2 so far. So how does he fare after this one? Well, I'd say surprisingly well. In an episode that didn't give us much, Archer did very well. I want to focus on three things I think he did really well. Negotiating, innovative thinking, and skill building. Earlier we asked if a greater good would reveal itself so that we could look for the opportunity to work for a win-win-win solution to the initial deuterium in exchange for power cells deal. And it sure did. I mean, there's a version of this episode where the settlers get their power cells, some medical supplies, and their pumps get repaired, while Enterprise gets 200 liters of deuterium, and then they leave. Win-win, right? I mean, there are entire books written on how just that would have been a great deal. Both sides got a little bit of what they wanted, but neither side really got everything they wanted. That's the fundamental flaw in the compromise approach to negotiating, an approach that many take with the intention of achieving a win-win. Generally speaking, neither side truly wins. They gave something up so that the other party could get something. We call it win-win because it's not a bad outcome, and, and at least the deal was made. But this covers up that, that middle ground between winning and losing. The ground that I call not losing. In a traditional win-win, it's more like 
not lose, not lose. Do you do you see where I'm where I'm going here? In the original deal, they both left with something, but their real problems still existed. 200 liters wasn't enough for Enterprise. It would likely just be enough to get them to somewhere else that they could try and swing a deal. And the settlers would have power cells and supplies, but they wouldn't last long. Plus, the piece that brings in the third win, they'd still be getting harassed and bullied by the Klingons. Basically, the win-win scenario just delayed the, delayed the pain for both parties. After the run-in with Korok and his crew, Archer saw a possibility. And what impresses me even more, based on the end of the episode, is that he didn't see that possibility as an opportunity for more deuterium. He saw it as an opportunity to help people. This led to more deuterium, but that was because the settlers were not only grateful, but also good people. There must be over a thousand liters here. Two thousand. Our deal was for two hundred. Our deal was for power cells, medical supplies, and repair work. You provided us with much more than that. Even if they'd not offered the 2,000 liters at the end, Archer turned this into a win-win-win because both parties still didn't lose, but they solved a root problem for the settlers, a much, much greater good. With the values of Starfleet, though, they couldn't help the settlers by just blowing up the Klingon ship, though that must have been tempting for them. No, they had to find a more diplomatic solution. And in this case, that meant innovative thinking. Innovation has become such a buzzword, joining others such as synergy, ideate, empowerment, and right-sizing. Sad thing is, it's become a buzzword because almost no one actually does it. Just looks really progressive to have that on your corporate values poster. Think about it. When was the last time someone in your world truly innovated? And not like, oh, you can use Quick Steps and Outlook to save time. But like, really shook it up and innovated. Like, like, I don't know, like realizing facts is an antiquated and insecure communication method. So, so like you don't only just discourage faxing, like that's the point that most quote innovators would stop, but you get rid of it. You disconnect the numbers. You straight up just don't allow it. Now that may not be the best example, but it's one that's close to my heart, which, which really Oh, wow. That says a lot about the things that are close to my heart, I guess. Eesh. Maybe it's time for some soul searching. But you want to talk innovation? Let's talk about moving a settlement. Can't fight them? Gotta trick them. But they're not dumb. Hmm. What to do? Move the settlement. It's brilliant. Imagine if you or your leaders thought like that and were able to execute. What is stopping you from meeting your goals, achieving your milestones? What if you could just move your settlement and change the proverbial layout? Could it look different? Could it be better? Well, you'll never know unless you at least think about it. But in this case, Archer thought about it. Sure, yeah. But more importantly, much more importantly, he did it. Finally, skill building. Archer was preparing a group of people that had been bullied for years. I mean, you could just call them victims of bullying for the last few years, right? While the Enterprise crew could fight these Klingons off and solve the immediate problem, Archer knew that he had to build these people up. He had to leave them better than he found them. And he did this by building up their skills as a mechanism to build up their confidence. His line, There's a saying on my world. 
Give a man a fish, and he eats for a day. Teach him to fish, and he eats for a lifetime. Is supremely powerful. As a leader, how often do you step in to handle the thing? We've seen Archer himself do this a number of times. Instead, take the time to teach others. Let's say that you are an absolute beast when it comes to writing SQL queries. Wow, here we go with these. Wow, I, yeah, I've got some stuff to work out here between fax machines and SQL queries being my examples. Well, anyway, someone needs data. So you can write that query up and Coke bottle glasses across the office will fog up from the tears as people gaze upon the flawless beauty of your work. Problem is, you're the leader of the SQL query writers. In this scenario, we'll, let's just say it's a team of five query writers. They're good, I mean totally competent, but you, you're an artist. But now, imagine developing those five into artists. Now, your organization has six of you instead of just one. How great is that? Okay, real example. In my organization, we're about to implement a new piece of software that will change almost everything about how we do our core functions. It's a huge project. I have confidence in my project team and the developers. I mean, the software, the software is going to be great. So what I'm focused on is change management, the people side of change management. Now, we've talked about this before on the podcast, but, but not this example, not from this point of view. In my position and role, I have oversight of the entire operation. I generally just don't get involved in day-to-day -day operations. My, my amazing management teams do that. My challenge here is that I am a certified change management specialist and I absolutely love leading people through the various phases of change. But that's not my job. The person in the role that's responsible for this has never led a change initiative before. I mean, they have extensive project management experience, but they've not prepared people for change. As desperately as I want to take the reins and do the stuff, I'm letting them do it. Now, that doesn't mean I'm, I'm leaving them on their own, sink or swim style. No, like we meet regularly. I attend some of their meetings. I listen. I observe. I did an initial training at the kickoff for them and their team. But this is their thing now. Is it going to work out? Yeah, it'll, it'll totally work out. But it's, but it's kind of killing me a little bit. But what I know is that when we've gotten through this, I'll have another experienced change leader on my team. It won't just be me anymore. And when the next initiative comes around, because they always do, we'll be able to develop someone else. It's not about carving out a little niche for yourself. It's about developing your teams so any of you can do amazing things when the opportunities arrive. Archer takes this approach. He leverages the expertise of his whole crew, but especially Malcolm Reed. They teach as much as they can in the constrained time period to keep everyone safe during the battle. But but more importantly, to give them the confidence to stand up to the Klingons. The climax of this comes when Korok and the Klingons are surrounded by burning deuterium, and he sends Tessic out to confront them. We're not afraid of you anymore. Tessic is prepared, thanks to Archer and his team, and he's successful. That success is huge. He now has the reinforced confidence that he will need to continue to provide for and to protect the settlers. If someone else comes along and tries to take advantage of them, they are now much, much more prepared. I've been pretty harsh towards Archer so far, so I'll give full credit here. He did a great job. 
This shows that people can grow as leaders and that experience, experience matters. So what are your thoughts? Is there anything I didn't catch on here? Are there any ahas for you? I'm on all the social media at Jeff T. Aiken. Jeff T. as in teach, A-K-I-N. And I'd like to ask you a favor. If you've enjoyed the Starfleet Leadership Academy, please tell a friend or a colleague about it. Okay, now let's see what we're going to be watching next time. Working. Oh, wow. We could be creating our own Deuterium saga here. We're going to Season 4, Episode 22 of Voyager, Unforgettable, a Chakotay episode. Looking forward to it. So until then, ex astra scientia. Welcome to Tuning Into Sound Wellbeing, where we harmonize your mind, body, and soul. I'm Amanda, your sound therapy expert. And I'm Stephen, the curious explorer uncovering the mysteries of sound. Together, we explore vibrations, frequencies, and the power of sound therapy and tuning forks. Discover ancient wisdom, reduce stress, and tune into a healthier life. Subscribe to Tuning Into Sound Wellbeing today. Today is working for me. Do you believe that for yourself? Hey, I'm Pastor Julie, and I want to empower you through encouragement, inviting you to my podcast, Big Truth Encouragement, where I unpack living a faith-filled life. I created my podcast for the ladies, but gentlemen, you'll gain something too. So I invite you to listen to Big Truth Encouragement on Electricast and any platform where you listen to your podcast. Electricast. Electricast.